Amen. Thanks for leading us. It was fantastic. Good morning. Oh, dude, thank you. Um, hey, my name's Tim. I'm lead pastor here, and it's, uh, it's great to be with you. Um, if, you would, if you would do something with me, would you just uh, thank uh, a, a group of people who you may or may not know, um, but, but Connor and then a whole ton of volunteer leaders uh, who, who work with our kind of youngest crew from, from 18 years on down, all the, all the students. Can we just thank them for, for a moment? Um, Connor, thanks for thanks for what you're leading. Uh, if if you're a part of our, our partners and friends party back in April, um, this this is part of that. We talked about it uh, back in April. Uh, he and his team have been working on it for several months, and like he said, he's, they're just stepping off into it. Uh, and like in in many ways, uh, the the church, if I can just say that kind of big C uh, throughout history, is typically um, slow to to make change. And um, as we look at our city and our culture, what it means to engage teenagers, high school students, how to reach them, uh, care for them, disciple them, equip them, empower them, uh, help them to serve and lead uh, among their peers, uh, that's changing. And so uh, Connor and his team has taken a, a huge leap in, in just rethinking how we do what's typically we call just youth ministry uh, and to do that differently. So, so thanks. We want to be a church that takes risks. And so please be praying. Uh, if you're a parent, come check out the meeting at the end of this gathering after Coffee and Connect, or you can attend the Coffee and Connect and, and the parent meeting, which, I mean, if you can handle that much fun in one day um, without planning on it, that's, that's great. But I'm really excited for how, how we're going after uh, students uh, for Jesus uh, here in this next season. Hey, uh, if you don't have a Bible, would you uh, grab one? You can find one on, on, a, on a phone or a device if you got one, or walk and grab one. We've got Bibles on the shelves on the side here. Um, we're in the book of Hebrews, and uh, uh, that's on, if you grab one of these Bibles, that's on page 838. Um, I looked it up this week. You're welcome. And uh, if, if you don't know where Hebrews is, good luck finding it. It's really tough. It's right after Philemon. Which, you know, that's just hilarious because Philemon is one page. So um, feel free to use that one at parties. But uh, uh, Hebrews is towards the back end of the New Testament. And uh, we're, we've, been, we've started a series last week that we're just going to walk through the book of Hebrews in uh, this fall. So um, meet me there if you would. Two other things, and then we'll pray and, and, and dive into Scripture together. Um, this month, uh, September uh, 2018, we as a church, Mosaic, turned 15 years old. Uh, we, we began as a church in uh, 2003 in September. And so we're turning 15, which is so just great to be able to look back and see all that God has done in, in 15 years, the, the people that have come to Jesus in this city um, because Mosaic is here, uh, the ways that families have been uh, formed and grown and helped and served and resourced and um, redeemed and the, the ways that uh, we've discipled people and served our city and planted churches. And, and there's so much to look back over the last 15 years. We want for, for more and better things for Jesus in the next 15 years. And we think that one of the ways to best position ourselves to do that is to, is to do what, what is called a, a health assessment as a church. And so if you think at critical points in, in all of our lives, physically, we go see the doctor and get a health checkup. We're doing that as a church. Uh, and, and a key part of that is a survey that's online right now. And so uh, we want everyone who is either a partner at Mosaic or is regularly a part of the life of, of this church to, to, to go online and take that. And the way that you do that is either email info at mosaicportland.org or stop by the welcome table and, um, and talk to somebody and, and get the link or to fill out a card that is just, say, uh, church health assessment uh, or CHA, uh, or I think that's also the call signals for Charlotte's uh, airport. So um, free. That's just um, so. There you go. That's one. Two is uh, this Friday night. Uh, 
Uh, we're doing a fundraiser for a team that we're sending to Kosovo. We've been invested heavily in Kosovo, uh, both with people that we've sent over there, couples and families to serve there long term and finances over the last 10 plus years. Uh, we're sending another team there this November. Uh, we're raising financial support for that team. One of the ways that we're doing that is providing childcare for however you want to use that. If you want to drop your kids off and uh, go home and catch up on Netflix, if you want to go take a nap, if you want to go out on a fancy date, if you want to go exercise, you can do whatever you want. But if you drop your kids off here, we'll hang out with them and, and watch them, feed them, return them to you ready to go to bed. Uh, at uh, We're going from 6 to 9.30. Um, if you do not have kids, borrow someone's kids, drop them off here, make a donation, uh, go spend your time and come back and pick them up and return them to the rightful owners. But that's this Friday. Uh, you can RSVP for that at the welcome table or online as well, I believe. So that's all. We're going to pray and then we're going to open up scripture together. So let's pray together. Jesus, in this place right now, we declare you as the way, the truth, and the life. Um, that you are the one that we need. Uh, you are the one that, that heals that rescues, that saves, that transforms, that redeems. And uh, we as a church are fully dependent on you. We need you uh, and, uh, and we love you. And God, in this place, would you be declared and worshiped and celebrated as the God who loves, uh, the God who saves, the God who's just and good and right and merciful and gracious beyond what we could ever possibly deserve. And Holy Spirit, this, this morning, in this moment right now, would you help wake us up? Would you help us to be able to think just deeply and sharply and critically and, and well? Would you help our minds to be fully alert in this moment right now? And at the very same time, our, our hearts and our wills be soft and moldable so that you could direct them. Um, and in doing that, would you make us new and different people uh, as, we, as we receive from you and are, are guided by you, are comforted by you, or convicted by you. And Jesus, as, as we need you, would, we also ask that you would teach us and guide us as we look to your word. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. We kicked off last week, um, just looked at the first couple of verses of, of Hebrews. We're calling this the, the, the book of better things. Uh, we didn't come up with that. It's been referred to that by others. But the reason it, it, it's referred to that as the book of better things, this particular book of, of Hebrews in, in the New Testament, is because over and over and over throughout its 13 chapters, it's pointing to how Jesus Christ is better than anything else and anyone else and any other way of, of finding life or thinking about reality in the world. And so it's the book of better things. And we looked at the first few verses. I want to pick up in verse 5. And, and what I want to do is I want to read just the next 10 verses, uh, and, and then, and then we'll, we'll kind of take a, a pause uh, because it, it's saying something that I think is kind of uh, maybe interesting, maybe surprising, but, but let's take a look at verse 5 through 14. It says this, for to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I've become your father? It's a rhetorical question. God's never said that to any angels. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. In speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. But about the son, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says, In the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens 
are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you remain the same, and your years will never end. To which of the angels did God ever say, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to those, sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Those 10 verses, verse 5 through 14, um, there's a lot in there. If you, if you notice, if you're following along in, in, in pages in front of you, there's quotes and it's kind of indented at different places. It's, it's a whole collection. It's a whole list of Old Testament scripture included in this letter that, that the writer of Hebrews is quoting from the Old Testament. And, and he's all headed towards a, a, a very important point, 10, 10 verses to make a, an important point. And, and the point is this. I, I want to share this with you. Um, the point is that Jesus is better than angels. Jesus is better than angels. Like, way better. Okay, so, um, I, nobody said amen to that? Okay? So, that's fine. I'm not, I'm not asking for it, but, um, but, but thank you. Um, you know, there, there wasn't a, a, a significant change of facial expression. Um, no one stood up and cheered. Um, it didn't, that, that statement right there that just came from those 10 verses, that Jesus is better than angels, doesn't seem to, to, to impact us much or, or transform anyone in particular. I mean, if you were transformed, that's fantastic. Um, but I don't think that anyone here in this room right now was, was deeply impacted by hearing that Jesus is better than angels. And, I, and part of the reason is I don't know that many of us were really struggling with that comparison. Um, and, and maybe you were, and, and, and that's fine, but none of us are struggling really with Jesus being better than angels. But yet the, the, the author of Hebrews spent 10 verses. There's like half of my page in, in my Bible, um, which if, if this is going to be, I mean, it's really thin pages and small print, but still, if this is going to be all of reality and the most important thing of ever in the existence of everything, that's still half a page and spent on that is, it must mean something. It must have some significance. Angels in the in the Old Testament were, were were significant. Anybody that ever experienced an angel that we have recorded in the in the Old Testament, there was there was reverence for the angel. There was um, people would bow down if, um, if they commanded them to do anything. They just obeyed it. They just followed the, the directions of the angel. If they they said, "Here I have this," they accepted it and followed the orders. In the New Testament, we see angels show up a, a lot. And at the very end of the New Testament, we have we have uh, uh, John writing the book of Revelation and and his. He records twice in chapters 19 and then chapters 22 that he encountered an angel and he fell down on his face and bowed in front of the angel and, and worshipped him. And both times, it, it took him two times to learn this, but he was rebuked and said, don't, you don't worship angels. You, you listen to them, you, you revere them, but you don't worship them. You don't bow down and, and that kind of thing. And so angels were a big deal and they were, they were bright and strong and beautiful and amazing, but, but still not even close to Jesus. And so how is it in these 10 verses, do, do they say Jesus is, is better than angels? And then we've got to ask the question of, so, so what? Why does, it, why does that matter? Why are we learning that? Why is that in taking up a half a page in, in the Bible? The way that Jesus is better than angels is in, in a number of ways. One is his just name's better. So if you're just going, to, you know, just comparing names, angels, we know some of their names, but not a lot of them. And then you've got the son of God, the Messiah, Jesus. He, he wins in the name category. He, he wins in, in being a son versus an angel, but being a son, part of God's family. He's, he's identified as God and as Lord in here, that he is God. Much better 
than, than angels. His very nature of what it means to be the son of God is, is better uh, than angels. And we're also told that angels are commanded to worship him. And so if angels have to worship Jesus, then Jesus clearly wins. He's, he's ahead in every category that you could think of. That's how he's better. So what? What difference does it make that, that we're told that Jesus is better than angels? We're told in the Old Testament that, that God wanted to, to say something to his people. And he spoke in a lot of different ways. And we, we read, if you were here last, last week, we, 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 heard, we read the verses just before this. It said Jesus, that God has spoken to his people in many different ways, through many different, um, said many different things in many different ways. But one of the ways, and early on it was perhaps one of the most significant throughout all of the Old Testament, throughout the story of God and the, the people of God, is that God wanted to say something to his people and, and he delivered something to Moses. He delivered what we kind of know as the Ten Commandments or we could say the law and it was on stone tablets and it was given to Moses who had gone up to the mountain and then came back down with the tablets to influence and lead the people and deliver this message the word. We're told in Deuteronomy chapter 33 verse 2 and then we're told later on in Acts as Stephen is declaring the story of God before a trial and it's literally the last thing that he says, Stephen says, before they take him outside and stone him to death. We're told in Acts as well as Deuteronomy, and, 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 and Stephen says it in Acts chapter 7, verse 53, that it's angels that delivered the stone tablets, the law, to Moses. That God wanted to give something to his people, and the angels took it from God and, and gave it to, to Moses. Which you've got to think, like, that's pretty impressive on Moses' part, because if angels have to deliver it, then Moses gets to carry it. Like, that's... I wonder if we could compare Moses. We don't even do that, but... He takes the tablets and he delivers it to the people. Angels have given the most important message from God to Moses. It could be tempting for the readers of Hebrews, when they've committed themselves to following Jesus, they're Jews, they've lived with the extended family that's gone back generations have lived according to this rules, these laws, these ways of understanding God and how we relate to him, that all of their family line have always lived in this way. And then to get to this point when they're reading Hebrews and they've decided to move beyond the law and link their lives with Jesus and to follow Jesus and be identified and known as Christians in a world now in the first century, some 30 to 50 years after Jesus has ascended into heaven after his death, burial, and resurrection that they're following Jesus in a world where everything is opposed to them, where no one is cheering for them to follow Jesus. All of the culture, all of their family, all of the, the authorities, everything around them says, don't follow Jesus. And so their temptation, what they're considering is saying, Jesus, following Jesus is really hard right now. And so I'm going to find and go back to what I've always known. And what I've always known is the law. And the law was delivered by angels. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, Jesus is so far better than angels. And therefore, the message that Jesus delivers is so far better than the law that angels delivered. That's why it's important that we understand that Jesus is better than angels. Now look at what's written next. Verse 1 of chapter 2. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through the angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape 
if we ignore so great a salvation. This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. What we have here is a reminder, is a warning, is a message that says, pay very close attention and don't drift away. When things are hard, don't go back to what you've known before. And there's probably not a single person in this room that has really struggled this past week with going, following Jesus is hard, so I'm going to go back to angels. That's not our challenge, is it? Ours are different. I grew up in Long Beach, California, and um, was probably 10, 12 minutes from the beach. And uh, my favorite beach to go to was Bolsa Chica State Beach. It was right in between. It was just south of like Seal and Sunset Beach. And it was just north of Huntington Beach. And it was squeezed right in there. And it was the worst parking because uh, you had to pay for it and drive around all those things. But it had the best waves, I thought, in my kind of elementary schooler's mind of what I thought was a good wave, which don't believe me because though I grew up in Long Beach, I've literally never surfed a day in my life. Um, so I don't know what I'm talking about when it comes to waves and beach. But I had fun at Bolsa, State, Bolsa Chica State Beach. And that was the one I always wanted to go to. And I can remember one time going out a little bit further than I'd, I'd ever gone before and was with friends and we were body surfing and having a blast and laughing and, and just having a great time at the beach. And, and I would look back at one moment onto the beach to, to see my, my parents and my family and our friends and all the people that were there as a part of our group and our towels laid out on the beach and all of our stuff there. And, and I looked back onto the beach and I didn't see any of it. And in fact, all the people I saw and the towels I saw were I'd never seen before. It looked foreign to me. And I looked to my right and I looked to my left and I realized I couldn't see anything that looked familiar. And I started to lose my breath a little bit and get scared. And so I, as fast as I could, I got into to shore onto the sand and the people all looked the same. I didn't recognize them. I didn't know who they were. And I went up the beach a little bit and I went down the beach and I eventually found my, my group. If you've ever been in the ocean before, you know what it's, it's like to be, to be swimming and riding the waves and, and, and having fun and, and the current just kind of moves you down a little bit and you, you don't notice it. You don't realize what's going on. Your mind's on other things. You're thinking about other things. You're enjoying yourself and the current moves down. Or maybe you've gotten into one of those riptides before where it gets a little more dramatic and you might not even be able to get in from it. And you, you, you don't even know how you got caught into it. That's, that's the idea here in verse 1 where it says drift away. Plato looked at this word and he, he said it's like losing your memory. Like you don't know when you lost a memory of something. It just, when you go to retrieve it, it's, it's not there. It doesn't come up. You don't know exactly what moment it happened. It went unnoticed. It slipped away and you didn't know. But to drift away is to, is to move in a, into a new place. And it's, it's, it's not sudden. It's not dramatic. It's just slow and gradual over time. It's just kind of by degrees over time. When it comes to being on the water, there's, there's two ways to avoid drifting away. There's two ways. One is to is to take yourself, and if you, if you think about being in a boat, to, is to take your boat and to, and to anchor it to something that is heavier than you. To anchor yourself and your boat to something that is weightier than you and to drop it down on the ocean floor. And then you might move a little bit, but you're not going to go away from the anchor. It's going to hold you in that place. Or to, to be against the dock and have, have a mooring and to tie yourself onto it. And when the waves come and maybe a little bit of a storm and the currents pass through, that, that you stay there. You don't move. You're anchored to something that's weightier, that's heavier than you. The other way to not drift unknowingly into some other place and find yourself surprisingly in a whole new place is to have a, have a target and a direction that you're going and to know where you're headed. And I, I learned this, I think it's a it's tiller. Somebody told me it was a tiller. I didn't know the word for it, but you have your hand on a tiller. Is that right? Or were they messing with me? Okay. 
It's a tiller, which is, is somehow formed with a motor, and it, it pushes water, and, and however a boat moves, it's science, just trust me. So you, you're controlling this, and you've got a hand on it, and you're controlling where it's going, and you know what's on the horizon and what you're aiming at, and you keep your eyes focused on that, and you control but if you let your hand go and you look around and say, maybe watch a sunset or watch another boat or somebody else swim and your attention goes somewhere else, you begin, to, you begin to drift. And you end up somewhere that you weren't intending, that you didn't know you were going there. That's not where you intended to be. When, when verse 1 says, we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. It's talking to those of us that are in a place that is where all of the currents are going away in the opposite direction of Jesus. That the currents aren't pushing us, just we end up finding our way to Jesus or we end up linked to an anchor that is Jesus. That everything else is, is stacked against us in that way. It's not for Jesus, it's against Jesus. I have, a, I have a friend, he used to be here. He used to be, he used to be with us. He used to be here on Sundays in, in one of our seats. He used to talked to him and he had a he had a love for for this book and and he would read it and even memorized a lot of it and was familiar with it and his face lit up when he talked about it and he could talk about how he had met jesus that particular week and what god was saying to him through scripture he would stand and he would sing here he was in we would say he was in in community he had friends that were walking with him in his life and if you knew him and talked to him you you would pretty readily hear and, and catch that, that Jesus was the most important thing in his life. And like him, like so many of us, we've got all of our other parts of our life and at different times they kind of rise up and begin to compete with Jesus. And he had one thing that, that, that was there and then it, it rose a little bit and then it rose a little bit more and it was almost equal with Jesus. And then actually over time it, 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 it ascended and was above Jesus and it was more important to him than Jesus and it happened subtly and it happened over time. It wasn't like a, he just cut the cord to his anchor and let go. And it wasn't like, oh, I said, I'm not holding in that direction. I, I give up. It just was one degree at a time, one degree at a time. And slowly took his hand off the tiller. But that thing that rose up was, and again, many of us can relate to this. And we've had this same tension in our own lives that it was a desire for intimacy with a spouse to, to be married. And that eventually rose over Jesus. And he found a gal and they started dating. And, and he said pretty, pretty early, like, she's, not a, she's not a Jesus person. She doesn't, she doesn't believe in Jesus. She's not following Jesus. She's not, she's not headed towards Jesus like I am. But, but man, the, the dating site paired us up. And gosh, we've had so much fun together. And, um, and I'm attracted to her. And, and she, we have a lot of fun together. And man, we've done this and this and this. And it's, so great. It's, just, it's, it's just a fit. It's a fit. So please pray for her. Pray for us. I'm praying for her. She rose up here above Jesus and, and they got married, which is a great thing. Get married. It's a great thing. But he's not around anymore. It's not in community. It's not here. I don't know the last time he, he read scripture. He just recently had his, his first kid. Reconnected with him. He's like, you know, I'm asking questions about what I want for my kid. I've, I've got a kid. I've always dreamed of having a family. We have our first kid. And he's like, and I, I realize now that I have this, this young life to parent and to care for that what I want for, what I want for him 
is actually him. I want, I want my child to know, know Jesus. And so I've got to find Jesus again. I'm not sure where he went. I'm not sure where he is. But just by one degree and one degree of letting something else become more important than Jesus. Our challenge is not angels. None of us are probably struggling with prioritizing an angel over Jesus. But a future spouse. A job that takes us a little bit more away from our family and our friends because we got a promotion that, oh, is awesome. A hobby that, man, we really find so much pleasure, pleasure in and, and, and we're just really good at it and it's great. Or maybe it's something as simple as, it's just football season. I'll see you in February. It's just, it's just a, a degree. It's just a degree off and start to drift away. But it's not just the, the components of our life. It's not just the parts of our life that, that could begin to, to compete with Jesus. But it's the ideas that, that we know and that we're aware of that, that bump into us every day that we swim in in our culture and our city. I, I've thought of, of, of three that just, that just keep coming up for me, and, and maybe they'll sound familiar to you, but they're ideas that are opposed to Jesus, that are a current away from Jesus and his good news. One is that, that Jesus himself is, is not divine. I mean, Jesus is awesome. Don't get me wrong. I mean, there's all this stuff written about him and people follow him. And I mean, Jesus is, Jesus is great, but, but he's not divine. And in fact, I read this article or this, uh, this website or this book that said Jesus wasn't actually conscious. He wasn't aware that he was God. So I'm not sure that, that he really was God. Maybe he's one of a lot like him. A lot of sages or teachers that come through. And every other year, there seems to be another book found where something else is, is translated again, or there's an archaeological find, or a book's discovered that, that tells us something more about Jesus' life or his family that just tells us that, yeah, he's great, but he's not divine. He's not God in the flesh. He's just slightly less than that. That's not a new story. That's not a new thought, but it's ever-present in our world today. And closely following that one is the thought that, that as humans, what, what's our true identity, and who are we really, and what are we made up of? And, and the idea that there's something wrong with us is is difficult to stomach this idea of sin that the church has and that we find in scripture is just kind of harsh and in fact sin itself makes me feel shame so therefore sin can has to be bad and so maybe whatever whoever i am is fine just the way that i am that i don't need any help that i'm good enough just as me and then that bumps right into the next one that's whatever this life is made up of is is really all that there is that when, when my time here ends, when I die and when my heart no longer pumps blood to the rest of my body and my mind goes dark, that that's the end of the end. There's, I don't exist anymore. This is all there is. There is no eternal existence of any kind, whether in the good place or the bad place. In fact, those, I'm not even sure those places even exist. Those are ideas that are are readily available and alive and circulating in our world today. And all three of those, and any others that, that are similar or connected to that, all three of them, what they say to us, what they whisper to us, it's another voice that says, you don't need a savior. Jesus isn't king. Jesus isn't better than everything else. He's just one of. And even if he was better, you don't need him. You're good on your own. There is no ever after. There is no everlasting. There is no eternal. Everything opposite of what this says. Verse 9 says this. But we do see Jesus. Who was made lower than the angels for a little while. 
now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons and daughters, that's you and I, to glory, it was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists should make the pioneer of their salvation, that's Jesus, the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy, again us, are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. When verse 1 says, pay the most careful attention so that we would not drift away, what it's saying is look again at Jesus. Look again at the story of the good news. If it in any way is somehow a marker for your past and that's it, you've missed part of what Jesus needs to be and wants to be for you. You've missed part of the way that Jesus wants his story and his good news of bringing his kingdom into this world more and more, starting with our own lives and then going out from that of what he wants to do in us is ever present, readily available for us. And to pay the most careful attention means to look again at it and to see it for more than what it is. If it seems too familiar to you, if it seems too reduced to you, if it seems too boring to you or too in your past, Pay the most careful attention so that you may not drift away because you're missing part of what it is. If you think somehow that Jesus' gospel, that the good news of Jesus is only there to take care of sin, you've just seen the starting line. You don't see the whole rest of the journey and the life that's intended to be a part of it. That Jesus intends to redo it. It says in in verse, in chapter one, we read this. It says, you will roll them up like a robe, like a garment, they will be changed, but you remain the same and your years will never end. That's an Old Testament passage pointing to what Jesus will do in the end, which is roll up all of creation that we know, we live in it. We know it's been messed up, it's corrupted. We're barely feeling like we're keeping it together even as we consider what's happening in in the environment at times. And it it says right here that Jesus is gonna roll that all up and then make it all new. That's part of the good news. That's what Jesus is doing. When we look at the brokenness around us in our world, in our own lives, in our own homes, in our families, in every kind of system that we have thought up as human beings, All of that, Jesus intends to touch with the gospel and to heal it, restore it, and make it new. It's not just about forgiving us our sins. That's the beginning and the necessary beginning point. But it goes on so much beyond that. And God wants us to know all that so much that he sent his son to suffer and to die. Here's my question for us. What evidence is there in your life that the good news of Jesus is true and powerful? What evidence is there in your life that the good news of Jesus is true and powerful? What evidence is there in the life of our church that the good news of Jesus is true and powerful? I thought about this for myself this week and I came up with two two answers. The, The first is what forgiveness looks like in my life. When I pay most careful attention to Jesus and the good news, I have to deal again with the reality that Jesus went to the cross for Tim. That I needed to be forgiven, and so he needed to go to the cross. I know you all got your own stuff, but he had to go there for me. And so I had to be forgiven. And what that does is that reminds me again that I have to readily forgive others and readily ask for forgiveness when I've done wrong. And so when that's When that's happening and engaged in my life, I haven't drifted away. I'm tied to Jesus. The other thing is, is when I lose hope for my own relationships, my own home, 
my own church, my own city, and my world. When I lose hope for any of that, I need to look again at the, at the good news of Jesus, that he's the one in control and not me. And so when I have hope, it's evidence that I haven't drifted away, that I'm anchored to Jesus and I know where he wants to take me. If you're struggling, and those answers for me weren't easy, I had to struggle to get there a little bit. But if you're struggling to answer that question, what evidence in your life is there that the good news of Jesus is true and powerful? That might be a warning sign to you that you've started to drift away. That you've started to let go of the anchor and to let go of the motor and you've started to drift just by degrees. It's one of the reasons that we sing the words that we sing when we come into this place. You are the way, the truth, and the life. The songs that we're just getting ready to sing right now because they take us back to the good news and they remind us again that we need Jesus. It's also why we come to this table to remind us of what these verses just told us that God sent his son to suffer in great humility for me and for you. And so we're invited to come to these tables to take a piece of bread and dip it in his juice to represent us God's son, Jesus, his body broken and his blood shed. Jesus, as we sing to you again, as we come to these tables, would you knit us together with who you are and with your story and with your desire and your power and your, what you want for our very lives that you would call us close to yourself again simply by taking a taste of, of your story again this morning and, and singing things that are true of you. And so Jesus, call us back gently Call us back dramatically. Call us back however you have to so that we do not drift away, that we stay knitted and tied to you.